Okay. Thank you, Brent. Good to be here again this morning. There's no place I'd rather be is to be with my brothers and sisters, my church family, and uh, look forward to these times when we can be together and encourage each other and lift each other up, challenge each other. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's just been good. And trust that you all had a, a good week this past week. Um, like, like always, it's, it's been a busy one, busy week. And I had to think as uh, Friday we were together at the mutual aid meeting and uh, I just, I, I marvel at how that thing has grown and the size that it is today compared to what it was when I first started 30, I don't know, 38 years ago, whenever it was. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot going on and uh, brother helping brother and there was lots of thoughts and things that were shared that um, were good. And so this morning, um, as we again um, look into the book of Ephesians, and this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 2, um, not sure how far or what we'll, what we'll, uh, how far we'll get, but I trust this morning that as we've already shared from the first chapter, that um, Paul here is, is uh, simply sharing with the church at Ephesus um, the divine plan of salvation and, and, and trying to, to show them and to teach them um, what, um, what it's all about. And as we come to chapter 2, well actually be the ending of chapter 1 there, exalting Christ, um, the last couple of verses there, verse 20 says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, referring to Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so this morning, we want to, as well, we want to exalt Jesus Christ. That's, he is worthy of our praise. And we want to do that this morning as we, as we look at this chapter. And, and we notice here how it starts out. Right away, the beginning, it, it, it talks about the sinful state of man. It talks about the sinful state of man and how that, you know, we need to, uh, where we need to see ourselves. And I've titled the message this morning, The Church and Christ, the Chief Cornerstone. And we want to look at a couple of different things this morning as we, as we go on. But anyway, here, um, the last couple verses I just read there from chapter 1, the power, the power of God, God's power. 
I don't think that we fully realize or can comprehend the power of God. God's power is all-knowing, unending, omnipotent. Um, you know, the world fears the world fears the power of the atom. Um, yet we belong to the God of the universe, who not only created the atomic power, but also raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if we can just wrap our minds around that, that is, that is a lot right there itself as we think about the power of God. And that's why we want to exalt Jesus Christ this morning, because he is worthy. <clears throat> Christ, this morning, Christ is still the head of the church, the ultimate authority over the world. Christ is the Messiah, the God's anointed one, the one Israel longed for, the one who would set their broken, um, their broken world right. And so this morning, as Christians, as believers, we can be confident that God has won the final victory and is in control of everything. And I'm glad for that this morning. We need not fear any dictator or nation or even death or Satan himself. We don't need to fear that because Christ is king. Christ is Lord of lords. <clears throat> so we can be confident of that. You know, Romans 8, Paul, Apostle Paul said there in the last couple of verses that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are in God, with God, walking with God, nothing can separate us from God and his love. <clears throat> and so, for God, <clears throat> the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, as we think about the power of God and his um, authority and his um, kingship, you know, God, it says there that, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, a little quote goes something like this. Someone penned. It says, the man dwelling in darkness does not need to be told how dark it is, but should have light shown to him. There is no other way to dispel the darkness than by light. And so that's what we're called to be. We're called to be that light. <clears throat> As we think of the church, the beauty of the church, and how that it functions, how that it works, that Paul talks about throughout the book of Ephesians, and here again in chapter 2. And we see here that um, he begins the, the, the very first verse, you know, the very first couple verses. He talks about the sinful state of man and where, where we were, the past, and the things we've done. He says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the uh, course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know, we as 
born-again believers, we can testify to that because we know where we were. We know the life that we lived, the things that we were doing, the things that we were involved in. And God called us out of that. He called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I praise him this morning for that. <clears throat> so when reading Ephesians, it's important to remember that it was not written to an individual, but to the church. It's not written to an individual, but to the church. Christ is the head, and we are the body of his church. You know, Paul uses many uh, metaphors in, 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 in talking about the church. In Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Colossians 3, uh, there, there's numbers of scriptures there. Um, the image of the body and how that, you know, it shows the church's unity. How that even the, the human body and how that it functions and how that it works together in unity. You know, when we have a sore leg, we don't sit down and take our hands and we beat our leg up because it's sore. No, you rub it. You massage it. You you do what you can to make it feel better. And that's what that's how the body, the body of believers, is to function and to work. When someone hurts, we we uh, we encourage them, we comfort them, we rally around them, and and so on. There, there's beauty in in building the church. It, it's not to be a place of disorder or uh, chaos or confusion. Um, God has called us to be, uh, you know, to do things in, uh, in order, decently and in order. <clears throat> and uh, as I was studying this, you know, I, I had to think, when I worked with my brother, carpenter work, um, you know, we'd get on the job site when we were first starting to build a house, and, you know, there was, there was LVLs over here, and there was two by sixes here, and two by fours there, and there was plywood there, and there was, you know, all of this material just it just scattered all over, just laying all over. But you know, when we all as a crew worked together and we, we took this this mess, this you know, I I refer to it as a mess. It's not really a mess, but you know, stuff all over the place. And when you when you work together and you take all these things and you put them together. And when we're done, you end up with a beautiful house. And I'm sure Robert can testify to that as well. You know, he had probably had stuff all over when he was building his garage, you know, at one time. But now, today, he can look at it and it's a beautiful garage. Told me this morning he put the gutters on. That way the water can run to one end instead of dripping on your head. Um, you know, there, there's beauty in that and that's how God wants the church to function and to work so that there's beauty there had to think also of a, um, as I was driving north there was, there was a guy that was uh, building a wall a stone wall and um, you know probably when, when he was thinking about building this wall he ordered um, a truckload of rocks big old rocks and, you know, when this truckload of rocks came, he just dumped them on a pile. And, and when, you, when you look at that, it's just, it's just a pile of rocks. It's just all over the place, just, just chaos, you know. And, uh, but when you put, you put a trowel in the hand of a mason, 
and apply some mortar, he can take them rocks and he can build a, a beautiful stone wall. Set things in order. And that's how God designed it. God designed the church to, to function and operate in order. There's beauty in that. And that's what we want to, to think about this morning as we think about um, the church. And here, that's, that's what, you know, the sinful state of man. You're reminding us of our, of our uh, we're in, we're in uh, time past. You walked according to the, to the course of this world. And now God has pulled you out of that, set you on a solid rock, and is, is working and making something beautiful in you. And uh, when, when he does that in, in, a, in a, a, a group of people, the church, um, there's, there's beauty in that. The church can be uh, a beautiful place. But as he goes on there, he says... Uh, among whom also we all had our conversation time passed in the lusts of our flesh, um, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But then, um, you know, the <clears throat> we must never forget the condition from which Jesus saved us. But then, um, it says in verse 4, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. You know, as you think about the old life, Romans 6 talks about that, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. We're not going to take time to look at all those scriptures. But... Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Does this mean, does this mean then that um, only Christians do good? Of course not. Many people do good to others. They're moral. They're kind. They're um, law-abiding, you know. But it's only the uniting of our lives with Christ. Christ's perfect life can we be found good in God's sight. It's only then. You know, and many people, when you talk to them, oh, he was a good person. He was a good person. But when you get to the point of asking, you know, what was his relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what's important. That's what's important. Did he have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And was it real? <clears throat> Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. You know, he didn't save us because of, but rather in spite of, what he saw in us. As he says there, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. 
He didn't save us because of, but rather in spite of what he saw in us. He created us to bring honor and glory to his most holy name. We should also show humble patience and tolerance for others who seem unworthy or undeserving of our love. And I'm probably guilty as that as, as anybody. You know, we look at somebody and all we see is, we, you know, we see the external. We see the, what he does, how he lives. And, all, and we, we form this picture and this mindset, but we are not to do that. We should also show humble patience and tolerance. Even so were we, but God loved us anyway. Verse 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, I don't know how that all works. When, when God, as he looks down upon man, and he sees these individuals that are living in sin, gross sin, un, unbelievable things that are taking place. And, and just like that, he can, he can pick one out of there and he can change his life. He can, he can uh, uh, create a new creature within him and give him a new life, a life in Christ Jesus. And that's what's beautiful about this. He says here, hath raised us up. You know, you and I, we were once there. We were once that individual. But praise God this morning that he hath raised us up so that we can sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For, as he goes on, that in the ages to come, he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness, kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, that, that spiritual resurrection. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all the trespasses. All trespasses. <clears throat> also in chapter 3 verse 1, very familiar script, uh, verse that we know. If ye then be risen with Christ, what does he say? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. <clears throat> and as we look at the next three verses, verses that are quoted many times, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Riches of grace. Philippians 4 says, But my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, notice what Paul says there. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. In other words, it was beyond. It was beyond what was, 
what was actually needed. There was more there. It was abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <coughs> free gift. We all like free gifts, don't we? When someone brings a gift to you, oh, you don't have to do that. But you know, it goes back to what Brent said. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be a gracious, gracious receiver as well. When, uh, you know, when people give us a gift, um, we can't lift ourselves up, puff ourselves up with pride and say, oh, no, no, no. No, I, I don't need that. You don't need to give me that. But we just need to, we need to humbly um, accept it. <clears throat> we like free gifts. And as verse 9 talks about there... Uh, not of works. You know, works are insufficient. They have their place. Matthew 7, 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? You know, there will be those. There will be that time, you know, when those will say, Lord, I mean, we've done everything. Have we not prophesied in thy name? But what does Jesus say? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's not the key. The key is to being in relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. Notice what he says there. Who has saved us? Referring to Jesus and called us. Jesus has called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. <clears throat> because our salvation and even our faith are gifts. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost us nothing. The price has been paid. Christ paid the, the price. He went all the way on Calvary for you and I. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. Look at what God has created. You know, there's... Even when you see twins, I'm sure you have all had seen twins or maybe even triplets that they are so identical you can't tell them apart but even within that there's something unique or different about one of those twins or one of those triplets I remember years ago friends of ours his wife she was a triplet and she, uh, there was three girls. And they were, they were just as alike as a piece of paper. You could not tell them apart. And they used to say how they pulled pranks on their boyfriends. 
and uh, people, their family. Um, you know, one or the other was supposed to do something. Well, they wouldn't go, but the other one would go. And just different things like that. And it, it was just, it was funny. It was hilarious to watch, to listen to them. But they were so identical. But you know, even within that, there was a uniqueness about each one. There was something special about each one. <clears throat> and so as we look at verse 10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he created a new person, a new being. We're a new creature in Christ. And now he says that we should walk in them. <clears throat> As we look at verse 11 and 12, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And as we, as we think about that, the, the Jews, the pious Jews, the, un, the, the circumcision, considered all non-Jews, those who were um, considered the, the, circum, you know, the, real, the real Jew, the uncircumcision or the ceremonially unclean, um, they, you know, Paul points out that uh, those Jews and Gentiles, but here Paul points out that Jews and Gentiles are alike. Um, Gentiles alike are unclean before God and need to be cleansed by, by, by Christ. Only Christ breaks down the walls of prejudice, reconciles all believers to God, and unifies us in one body. But anyway, backing up here, you know, the Jews, they, they, um, how can I say this? You know, they looked at the others as being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers and having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, as I just shared Jews and Gentiles alike are unclean before God and need to be cleansed by Christ. <clears throat> Why? He goes on to say, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Christ has broken down the walls. We're no longer strangers to God. As verse 19 talks about when we get there. We're all part of a beautiful temple with Christ as our cornerstone. Firm, solid. And within this picture, as we think about the cornerstone, you know, <clears throat> done a little bit of, Look some a couple things up as we think about the cornerstone, you know Solomon's temple. Um, there was there was the uh, temple called the Golden Temple. If you ever read about that, built in the late 1500s, 
finished in 1588. But this golden temple had uh, 750 kilograms of pure gold in just in the dome itself. And it took eight years to build. The foundation of this temple was marble and uh, overlaid with copper and gold. And you know this morning the difference between a cornerstone and a foundation. And as it talks here about in, in uh, Ephesians 2 here in 20, verse 20, are built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We know the difference between a cornerstone and a foundation. You ever thought about that? Well, the cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry building foundation. It's the, it's the first one that's laid, it's set. And it determines, this cornerstone determines the outcome of the entire structure. <clears throat> the foundation is the most critical part of building. And that's why I believe God is so precise in how that he built and, and, and put together the church, the church of Jesus Christ. It was also a, a key to keeping the wall straight, this, this cornerstone. And so when you think about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, there's a reason that he puts this in the scriptures. And that is to, to uh, because it's the most critical part of the church. If this church is not built on Christ, then it's not going to stand. And if we keep in mind that this, this cornerstone, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's also a key to, to keeping the wall straight so that things are um, going the right direction and doing and being the right thing. So what does it mean spiritually? What does cornerstone mean spiritually? Well, Scripture describes Jesus as the chief cornerstone of our faith. Jesus ensures the stability of the whole system of our salvation. Jesus was and is the only plan of salvation. And so as we think about <clears throat> this temple, um, this golden temple, was built on marble. The foundation was, I believe it was marble, if I, if I remember correctly. And this... This slab of marble was, according to the one writer, said was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. Now, I cannot grasp the enormous size of this piece of marble. But it was put in place so that it would have a good, sure foundation. Well, then when we talk about the Temple of Solomon, and there's a lot there itself, 
built by King Solomon in 990 to 931 BC, somewhere in there. On the very spot where God created Adam, the first man, that's where this temple was built, the Temple of Solomon. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful temple. And when you look at the amount of people, men, um, workers that it took, <clears throat> and the Bible tells us that the temple was built without a sound. Everything was manufactured, cut, whatever, done and brought in and put into place in perfect, absolute perfection. 70,000 unskilled workers doing whatever needed to be done. There was another 80,000 stone cutters. Those that just cut the stone. And it had to be precise. Absolute preciseness. You know, today we think that there are many things in how they're done, how they're designed. It's to perfection. Back in this day, they done the very same thing. And they didn't have the technology that we have today. And this was all managed by 3,300 foremen. It was important. It was important. It was very important that this temple be built specifically how God wanted it done. And you know, this morning, that's what it reminds me of as we as a church. There are specific directions that God has given us in building the church and for the direction of the church. And I'm glad for that this morning. That we don't lean on man's knowledge or understanding, but that we have the word of God that we can go to for direction. Now we don't have 3,300 foremen that are watching over us or taking care of like it was in building Solomon's temple. There was a reason for that. So that every man, every worker, done what he is supposed to in the right time, in the right place, in the right order. There was also 3,600 master masons. Those who, who um, laid the stone, put, you know, the mud and all that. And so God has called us to a very special work in building the church. May God help us this morning as we continue to, to work together and to pray. You know, I don't know what the future of our little group is, but I know who is in control. I know who is in charge. And that's who I want to be mindful of. That's who I want to um, give myself to in direction concerning building the church. You know, sometimes it's called God's house. 
The church building is sometimes called God's house in reality. But really, God's house is not a building, but a group of people. It's where a group of people that recognize where they were, the life they lived, the past they had, that they buried with Jesus Christ and are now a new creature in Christ and are building the church on the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the church is about. God's house is not a building, but a group of people. He lives in and through us to accomplish what he will. And so what does it mean this morning when it says here in verse 20, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone? So what does it mean there when it says that? That's the question. Or I'm asking a question. What does it mean to be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets? It means that the church is not built on modern ideas. But rather on the spiritual heritage given to us. By the early apostles and prophets of the Christian church. And I believe that's what we need to take heed and be mindful of. When, it, when we think about the structure of the church and designing the church and working of the church. Um, we need to, but, you know, but rather on the spiritual heritage given to us by the early apostles. Those who, those who gave their life for the church, for Jesus Christ. And as I shared, you know, concerning Solomon, <clears throat> the temple of Solomon, I just just barely scratched the surface there of, of all that we could we could go into when we think about, um, you know, David, King David, when he built the temple there. <clears throat> um, you know, and after he had it built, it tells us there, four hundred years later, it was destroyed. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And they say today, today, um, there's nothing of it to be found. It's totally, totally gone. I don't, I don't know for a fact, but some of the things I read, you know, there, there, there's nothing of the, of the temple foundation, anything that can be found. <clears throat> and so it's very important this morning as we think about um, the church and Jesus Christ being our chief cornerstone because it's upon him that we want to build and to grow together uh, in building this church, his church. I like a couple of verses in closing. As it talks about the unity of believers here, in verse 22 it says, In whom ye also are builded together. Why? For inhabitation of God through the Spirit. I like that. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 5, So we, being many, all one body in Christ, and every one 
members one of another. You know, we're part of the body, but yet we're separate members, but we all have the same goal. We all have the same feeling, the same, the mutual uh, thinking and in the direction that we, that we desire to go as a church. He also tells us in Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the Can you read my own writing? That, what that word says. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bound of peace. Yeah. Bound of peace. And then the last verse in closing, Ephesians 4.13. For all of us, as encouragement and direction, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. May God help us this morning as we go from here and the coming week. Whatever that you're faced with, whatever your um, situations may be, remember what you have been called for and let's strive to. Press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus as a church and with Christ being the chief cornerstone. Let's pray.